rich truths we get to sing together, huh? It's a joy to be with you guys tonight. You guys aren't excited about camp, are you? Yeah, not, not at all. How, how many of you are not going to camp? Are not going to camp? That's how many of you are not going to camp. Then we all can just weep together afterwards, those of us who are there. Okay? <laughs> but before you guys go off to camp, I want us to have a little dinner party tonight, okay? And we want this to be a dinner party for all of us to remember. So please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. The title of our message tonight is, A Dinner Party to Remember. So please find your way to Mark chapter 14. Guys, we live in a time in which extreme language is used for almost anything. And, and almost everything that is talked about is profound. That movie was awesome. That play I made on the video game was epic. This meal is mind-blowing. That Super Bowl several, several years ago was incredible. But the truth is, is that movie that you, you mentioned, is that movie really worthy to be deemed bad now? No, you might say yes to a many. <laughs> uh, or that play that you made on the video game was truly, was it truly epic? You know what that word means, right? Okay. That meal that you had, was it truly mind-blowing? Or were you just being really polite to that person and you didn't want to hurt feelings? Or whatever. Okay, so, or, or the Super Bowl. I mean, really, can you hardly even remember that Super Bowl several years ago? And can you truly say it was incredible? Because I've seen a lot of boring ones myself. But why do we deem these things this way? Why do we use this extreme language over some, you know, pretty big things and not a lot of small things? You know why? You know why we use extreme language so often? Because as Steve Russian, one New York journalist, said, quote, we live in an age of profound baloney, end quote. Where everything is exaggerated and blown out of proportion. In every commercial that you see, that car is the best. That vacation will be most memorable. This sporting event, event will never be forgotten. But here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth about all these things. They are like beads that seem once and then disappear. So often we're so used to just give me a shock and awe. Give me a shock and awe. Please, get me excited. And then we'll be excited over the simplest, stupidest of things. because We just got to be... Hyped up about something. That's really profound. And, and guys, the reason I say all this right up front is because this makes for a challenge for teachers and preachers of the Word of God, of sacred scripture. Why? Because how can we stand up here and teach you what is truly profound in an age of profound baloney? How can we do that? Can I give you an answer? 
by what we currently do. By the grace of God, by ever pointing you guys to that which is truly epic. That which is truly incredible or awesome and forever to be remembered. So, dear NBC youth group tonight, tonight, Mark chapter 14 reveals to us a truly profound, historic moment. Please read with me, beginning in verse 1, Mark chapter 14. Now, the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And they began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. This is the living word of God. Please pray with me. Father, I ask for grace. Grace for our attention spans this evening and grace for me to serve those seated before me tonight. Grant all here this evening the gift of illumination by your spirit to hear and apply the truth to their lives. Father, please glorify your son through the proclamation of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So guys, in light of our text tonight, our theme will be the transforming effect of the gospel is extravagant love and devotion to the Savior. The transforming effect of the gospel is extravagant love and devotion to the Savior. Now, we're in the gospel of Mark, and who knows what the, what the theme of the gospel of Mark is. Jesus as servant, exactly. Now, here's the thing. In our story tonight, in our text tonight, we see that he is the one being served, right? So in our context tonight, we have to understand all the way from Mark chapter 1, all the way to the end of chapter 13 here, we see that the majority of Jesus' ministry has been fulfilled by all of his preaching and teaching and miracles and healings to this point, as well as taking chapter 13 
into account the warning for us to be on the alert, to be on guard against spiritual dangers, to not believe the lies of, of that which is antichrist, and to be ready for his return at any moment, which you guys have been learning recently in Matthew 24 and 25 in recent days, to be ready, to be on the alert. So then, once we make the turn to chapter 14 of Mark, we see that we've come to the last few days of Jesus' earthly ministry, and this brings us to point number one. Point number one is the plot to destroy Jesus. So right up front, we have disturbing news. And then we're going to see, point two is going to be the party to celebrate Jesus. And then part three, point three is going to be the plan to betray Jesus. So right up front, we have disturbing news. And then we have some really good stuff in the middle. And then we have more disturbing news at the end, which we'll touch on. But point number one is the plot to destroy Jesus, verses one and two. And real quickly... Just three sections here. In verses 1 to 2, we see the season of the plot to destroy Jesus. We see the sinners of the plot to destroy Jesus. And we see the sovereignty of the plot to destroy Jesus. So the season of it is, where do we have it? What does it say? What time is it? It's time of Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And guys, just in brief, these are celebrations and remembrances of what God has done for the Israelites, which lasted one week. Can anyone briefly tell me what the Passover and unleavened bread celebrated? Good. Yeah. Good. That's the Passover, right? When the death angel passed over, they obeyed, put the blood on the, on the door mantle, and the death angel, which is actually the destroyer, which was actually Christ himself, passed over because of the shed blood of the spotless lamb placed on their door. Good. And then unleavened bread, they go together, because unleavened bread came after and during the celebration, but what about unleavened bread? How did, really close together. Unleavened bread. Yeah. What's that? Okay. Keep going. What else? We did do that. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unleavened bread, that represented the absence of sin in their life. Get out of Egypt, you're freed, I'm freeing you, so they celebrate this, okay? So this takes, these celebrations, Passover and unleavened bread, they celebrate this every year. So these are huge celebrations for the Jews, okay? And by the way, during this time, there were some two million people in Jerusalem during this time. Guys, I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem or not, when you have two million people in that tiny city... That's a packed place. So there's a lot going on here, okay? There is ruckus, there are parties, there are feasts, there is slaughter, there are sacrifices. A lot is going on. So this is the season of what's going on here tonight, okay? And then we see the sinners of the season to plot the, of the plot to destroy Jesus. And who are they? The chief priests and the scribes. The religious leaders of the day who say they know God and are, what are they doing? seeking to kill the author of life, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the very Lamb of the Passover. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. They were seeking, as our text says, how to seize him by 
this word means craft by deceit. How they could, literally the word is bait Jesus. How they could bait Jesus so that they could murder him and get him where they want him. And then we see the sovereignty over all those things. Is Jesus susceptible to this? Is he uh, at their whim, at their will? No, because Matthew 26, which is a parallel passage of our passage tonight, Jesus says this. Here's the sovereignty over the whole situation. You know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So, even though they say at the end of verse 2, ah, let's not get him during the festival because that'll cause a ruckus among the people, (laughs) nothing catches Jesus off guard, okay? All along in his ministry, he said, his time has not come. His time has not come. So Jesus has always avoided his enemies' plots to kill him, but now it was coming to that time that appointed time which was by him, not them, for him to be the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. John 1.29. So, after Mark presents us with this disturbing news of those seeking how to destroy Jesus, he then brings us to this dinner party before the Last Supper in the upper room. So tonight, this dinner party that we are to remember, it, you can really call it, it's the, it's the Second to the Last Supper, basically. It is the supper, the dinner before the Last Supper, really, because it's only the next day in which they have the Last Supper. So this then brings us to point two, the party to celebrate Jesus in verses three to nine. Now, guys, (laughs) our host tonight, for our dinner party, as our text says here in verse 3, is Simon the leper. Did you hear that? Simon the leper. Now, this ought to captivate our attention right off the bat. Our, our text says Simon the leper, but indeed he is a leper no more. It would appear that Simon is one of the many lepers whom Jesus has healed. Perhaps he was the leper in Matthew chapter 8 who came to him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And the Lord in response said to him, I am willing. Perhaps it's that leper. Or perhaps it's the leper of Luke chapter 17. Remember when the ten lepers come to Jesus and Jesus heals them all? Do you remember how many come back and thank Jesus for healing them? How many? One. That's right. One comes back and thanks him. And he says, where are the rest? Where are the rest? Right? So perhaps he's one of them. Now, leprosy. dreaded, bacterial, skin-eating, nerve-damaging disease described as death by infection. And according to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, you would be an outcast of the people. You would be an outcast of the people. You are deemed unclean. So, this is a man who was once very familiar with physical death. 
Separation from family and friends, right? Humiliation and the religious assumption that his condition was a judgment of God for his sin. So notice, Mark keeps his name in our text tonight as Simon the leper, but Simon does not keep his condition. And so, this is the one who is throwing the party. They are at his home. He is the one, guys, who greets us at the door this evening for this dinner party. Now, come on. Try to, you guys have great imaginations, way better than mine, okay? Just try to imagine his smile. Try to imagine, his face is now restored, having been damaged and his whole body damaged by leprosy. Just try to picture his smile. His joyful face because of what Jesus has done for him. No wonder he threw a party for the Savior, right? No wonder. Now, this dinner party is only getting started, guys. It's only getting started. Because when we go to John chapter 12, which is another parallel passage recounting the same account with more details. When we go to John chapter 12, we are also informed that Lazarus is present at this party as well. So, as we walk through the door of Simon's house, we would also see Lazarus in the living room. Are, are you guys grabbing the picture? Are you guys mind, is your mind in Simon the leper's, who's a leper no more, home? Is it there? I hope so. So we see Simon the leper now, and we see Lazarus. Now, I'd say he qualifies as quite a unique guest. Wouldn't you say that? <laughs> right? I mean, what a story he has to tell, having recently been raised from the dead. Can you imagine? This man was dead for four days. Recently raised from the dead, you come in, here he is. is it like to die? You know, you can imagine some of the questions you might ask, right? Or, you know, like, Lazarus, is it a bummer you're going to have to die again? Like, Lazarus, what was heaven like? Who did you meet? Hey, did you, did you bump into the angels? Did you catch up with Moses? And by the way, while he's in heaven, you know, who broke the news to him that he had to go back? And, 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 and what, what, did they, what did they say? Like, now, if any of you have John eleven thirty five, that was one of the first verses that I ever had memorized. John eleven thirty five, one of the shortest verses in all of Scripture. Jesus wept, right? Yeah. I mean, thinking of John eleven thirty five, which is in the context of when who died? Lazarus died, so in John 11, you see Jesus weeping, you see Mary and Martha, who are sisters of Lazarus, weeping. What did they, whoever announced this news to him in heaven, that he had to go back to earth? I mean, what did he say? Like, man, Lazarus, ever since you died, 
the Savior's been crying. <laughs> Mary's been crying. Martha's been crying. Lazarus, you're going back. You're going back, man. What a trip that must have been, right? <laughs> I mean, especially hearing, what did Jesus say? Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, you're in those wrappings. And you're, you're in a mummified wrapping. Oh, I mean, you talk about being a little disoriented. Simon, who was a leper, no more. We have Lazarus, who was dead, no more. And we also see that Martha, in John chapter 12, verse 2, was also at this party, probably catering the whole event, right? Because she was the eager servant who was always serving, right? We also see, if you go to Matthew 26, verse 8, which is another parallel passage, Matthew gives us more details, that the disciples were there also. So we have Simon, Lazarus, Martha, the disciples, but most importantly, and don't, I'm not going to leave this other person out, don't worry, we're going to get there in just a moment, but most importantly, the Savior is present at this party. He's the reason for this party in-home, warm, gathering. Now, at occasions like these guys, there would often be religious leaders like the Pharisees present. And if the Pharisees are present, guess what else is present? Tension and strife, because they'd always be trying to corner Jesus and always asking all these questions and always trying to trap Jesus. But not at this party, guys. Not at this party. No Pharisee has been invited to this party. Guys, listen. This party is only for those who are grateful to the Savior. This party is only for those who are grateful to the Savior. So, then, in the midst of this joyful, festive occasion, John 12 informs us that Mary, the sister of Martha, is the one who performed this extravagant, astounding act of love for the Savior. Strange as it sounds, let's read it again in verse 3, okay? There came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Charles Haddon Spurgeon rightly said, quote, this is the most intense and fervent act of affection in all of sacred Pure nard. Pure nard is a yellow, amber-colored liquid that has a sweet, woody smell. It is a much-prized, fragrant aroma oil coming from the spikenard or mushroom plant, which is found in India. And our text in verse 5 informs us that this perfume has a value of over 300 denarii. And a denarius was a paycheck for one day of work. And the text says it's over, worth over 300 denarii. So this is easily one year's worth wage of oil and perfume. But not only this, we see that she, Mary, is carrying this very costly oil in an alabaster vial. 
That's a fine variety of marble processed in Egypt. And it was for carrying perfume and oil like this. Costly containers for storing such perfumes. And it had a, it had a long neck top of the bottle and then it rounded out at the bottom. And verse 3 of our text says she broke the vial and poured it over his head. MacArthur says, quote, she probably broke the neck of the bottle so that she could pour out the contents more quickly, which is an expression of her sincere and total devotion to the Lord. Guys, this is fervent. This is intense. Can you smell the room now as she's dumped this full year's wages worth of oil, costly oil and perfume? On top of all of this, John's gospel adds that she took her own hair and wiped his feet with the very same oil that was pouring down. Just check it out in John chapter 12, verse 3. What what a dramatic moment that is suddenly taking place at this dinner party. Wouldn't you say? Come on. So, guys, this is so stunning that Jesus makes a memorial out of her act of love and devotion in verse 9. Look at it. What does he say? Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Guys, do you realize that the fulfillment even of that very truth is being given tonight? That you are hearing this memorable, historic moment. What a pronouncement to her. What a, what a promise to her and to all that this will be spoken of in, in memory of her. But, but, okay, we thought that the disturbing news was just at the beginning and the end of this. No, there's some disturbing news in the middle here too, right? Because look at verse 4. <laughs> in the middle of this act of honor and devotion and love and worship of the Savior in preparation for his burial. And by the way, Mary probably didn't know that she was doing this in preparation for his burial. She was just loving him and devoting herself to him and showing her love to him. And this is how she could do it. So, in the middle of this, come to verse 4, we have what we call um, party crashers. Right? Any of us ever been a party crasher where you come into the room and everything's going fine, everything's good, and then by your remark or by what you do, you ruin the party and you kind of, everybody's like, oh, why is he, why is he... Why is she here? What? What? Okay, if no one's going to confess, I've been a a party crasher, okay? Now, these party crashers here, verse 4, look. Look at what it says. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, because this is the disciples, Matthew tells us, and John tells us, remarking to one another, why is this person being wasted? Look at this person. They might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. This is what we're thinking. And this is what was this is going on. And the text says, and they were they were then scolding her. Now listen, Matthew 26 tells us the disciples were talking this way. They were murmuring, well, how, what is going on? 
And then John 12 tells us that Judas Iscariot was the spokesman for the remarks. Judas is actually the one who spoke out these words. Why has it been wasted? Money could have been given to the poor. And he stole it. Then, here's a little good news. This is great, okay? In the midst of these complaints of, oh, wastefulness of this precious, expensive oil that Mary, that Mary pours out upon the Savior's head, another voice speaks up in verse 6 and says, leave her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. The original Greek better reads, she has done a beautiful thing, a fine thing to me. Then he goes on, he says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. (laughs) By the way, John chapter 12, verse 6, it says that, it gives us a reason here. Was, was Judas really concerned about the poor, you think? No, because John chapter 12, verse 6 clearly says Judas was not concerned about the poor. He was a thief, and he stole from the money box, which was used for Jesus' earthly ministry. So he didn't care about the poor. I'm making up an excuse to say, why is this being wasted? I could have I used this for my thievery. It's basically what's going on here. So that brings us only for a quick moment to point three, because we're going to go back to point two. Point three is the plan to, dis- to betray Jesus. And we see that in verses 10 through 11. And who's the one who does it? Judas. Oh. He's the one that joins the religious leaders in their secret, baby, stealth attempt to get the Savior and to murder him. So that's the disturbing news of point three. But enough of that. <laughs> We're going to go back to point two. Why? Why did Jesus make this promise in verse nine to all of us tonight into the whole world? Why did he make this promise to her? Why did he make this promise to you and me? Guys, if you get anything tonight, get this. The reason why Jesus makes this pronouncement in verse 9 is this. That you and I would be affected by her. By Mary. Listen, guys. Where there is a profession of faith in the Savior without affection for the Savior and obedience to the Savior, that faith should be questioned. It should be questioned. If you say you have faith in him and you believe you're going to heaven, but you don't really love him, then your life certainly doesn't show that you love him. Now, pause there. I am not trying to create doubt in your mind this evening of your conversion. Not at all. You know why? Because the Lord wants you to be assured of your salvation. 2 Peter 1.10 says, make it sure. And you make it sure by your love and obedience to the Savior. But, again, this is why I believe the Savior not only wants us to preach the gospel, but to tell Mary's story as well. Because when we truly consider and think hard about the gospel, we must consider the transforming effect 
of the gospel and see if we are similar to Mary in any way. Guys, girls, are you similar to Mary in any way? I'm not saying, oh, you've given your whole life savings and all of your treasures and you're a poor missionary on the other side of the world. That's not what I'm saying. Are you similar to Mary in any way? Question, or are you like the disciples who were giving Mary a hard time for, for worshiping the Savior King the way that she did? Or are you like Mary having an obvious devotion to Jesus as she poured out her earthly treasure of love for him? Listen, with this profoundly unforgettable moment in history, guys, what do you think should have happened that night in Bethany, in Simon's home at this dinner party? What do you guys think should have happened instead of the scolding of Mary? What do you think should have happened? I'll, I'll tell you what I think should have happened. All present there should have stood to their feet should have run to form a line one by one and said to Mary, Mary. Mary. Could I please pour some of your ointment on his head as an act of my gratefulness? him. I was once a leper. He forgave all my sin. Could I please have some ointment to pour on his head? Who do you resemble? The critics of Mary? Well, the Savior, you know, as I was studying this, I was thinking, you know, especially when I come to verse 8. Will the Savior say of me as he said of Mary? Christopher Charles Kriegel, he did what he could. He did many beautiful things for me and to me. Don't you want him to say, well done? good and faithful servant. That's what I want of my master, of my Lord, of my Savior, of my King. Alistair Begg tells a story of a lady in his church, a Christian lady, and she goes to the beach with her children to have a nice, fun day. They get out of the car, the kids are going wild, and she's getting things set up. And as, as she gets out of the car, she notices out of the corner of her eye, this young lady hop out of her car and skip along the way with her backpack to the beach. And she's wondering in her mind, as she's getting her kids ready and she's going out there to the, the beach, and she's wondering, what, what's going on? Is she... 
Is she going to play volleyball with some of her girlfriends? Is she, is she meeting up with, uh, with, a, with some uh, boyfriend or something that's really exciting? Uh, what is this excitement that she has? Well, some time passes on. And she gets set up with her kids. She's playing with her kids. She loses track of time. And she's like, I'm going to check on this lady. See what, she, see what she's doing. About an hour or so later, she looks over. And she finds this young lady. And you know what she's doing? She's reading her Bible. <laughs> and to that young Christian lady's mind with her children, she sat there. And she had realized how she had lost, really, her, her love, really, for the Savior. She's in Christ. She's saved. But she had realized that she had lost that Savior. She looks over and she sees she's going to meet with her Savior. She's going to spend time with the Savior. What is our response? What is our application to this story, this historical account? Not the one that I just told you about the beach and the Bible reading, but about Mark chapter 14 and what Mary did. Number one, examine your love and devotion for the Savior. Examine your love and devotion for the Savior. Has has Christ's sacrificial love moved you to love in return? Do the cries that you and I hear from Calvary, from the lips of the Savior, affect you, energize you, spark you onward to love and devotion for the Savior? Here's just a few of the cries of Calvary. Dwell at Calvary's hill. Guys, camp at Calvary's hill and hear just a couple of the cries of Calvary. And think of how your sin brought this about, sovereignly by God, for this to come from the mouth of the Savior at the cross. And think of His sovereign, gracious love as you dwell upon the cries of Calvary to see if it affects you at all. Listen to what Jesus said from the cross as He's hanging there. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Guys, we don't realize the depth of our sin, the height of our faith and love and holiness. Here's another cry. It is Say it. Finished. Your sin is paid for in full. Does that cry of Calvary affect you at all, energize you to love him more? How about this one? As he says to the repentant thief on his side, Today you will be with me in paradise. Examine your love and devotion for the Savior. And guys, I'm not here to get down upon you, to make you feel, oh, and have your head down and walk out of here sad? Absolutely not. Let's take a quick look at Peter, okay? You remember Peter, right? 
Peter, right? That dude who, who failed a lot, who sinned a lot against the Lord Jesus, his Savior, whom he loved, right? I mean, he went so far as to deny him three times and even cursed. You'd be ashamed that that's the one that he followed all these years, and now he's going to the cross. John chapter 20. Remind you of this with Peter, okay? As we examine your love and devotion to the Savior. Peter, walking with Jesus, smelling the broiled fish as the disciples are cooking the fish on that, that morning on the beach and they're walking by the shore. He's walking with Jesus and, and Jesus says, what do you love me? Peter says, I love you. He says again, do you love me? Peter says, I love you. Peter, third time, right? Matching up with the three times that he denied his Lord. Peter, do you love me? And the third time, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. That's the great question. It's just a love. You go from agape, that complete, selfless, perfect love of God, yeah, no, to, you know I like you. Guys, hear this, okay? God accepts less than a perfect love, but not less than a real love. That makes sense? God accepts less than a perfect love, he does not accept less than a real love. Do you have a real love for your Savior? Right? Examine your love and devotion to the Savior. See if you're in Christ. And if not, today's the day for salvation. You see your sin. You confess. You forsake. You repent. And you go home a justified, freed, adopted, washed, forgiven, Number two, express your love and devotion to the Savior. Express it, right? <laughs> However immature your faith is, yet still your love for Him cannot be concealed. It must be expressed. You know how you get excited over a, a certain sporting event? or a certain, whatever you guys like, arts and crafts, or video games, or the hottest movie, whatever. You know how you, you can't help but express your passion and your love for it? Guys, I know you've heard this message, message a thousand times. You need to hear it again. If you truly have a real love for Christ, and you are born again, your love for Him cannot be concealed. must be expressed. Guys, we're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior, our Great High Priest, our Shepherd, King, our God. We're talking about a relationship. Um, okay. How does a relationship work? Well, let's start with one. Okay? Here's some application. Listen to Him. Do you listen to Him? You know what I'm going to say in the next sentence, right? How do you listen to Him? How do you hear from him? Well, I'm telling you. Okay. 
And guys, if you're stuck in Leviticus, you're like, oh, okay, get out of Leviticus, get in the Gospel of John. <laughs> Change it up a little bit. Fix your gaze on Christ. You will not advance in the Christian life if you are not gazing upon the Savior and hearing the cry of Calvary. You won't. You won't. Listen to Him. Hear what He says about your condition apart from Him. See what He says about your condition in Him. You are blessed. You are richer than the richest. Listen to Him. Be reading His Word. That's a point within point two. Expressing your love and devotion to the Savior. Okay, so how else does a relationship work? Okay, listening to one another. Okay, listening to God through His Word. Okay, what else? How about talking to Him? How do we talk? What's the word? What's that? Prayer. Exactly. Pray to Him. And by the way, guys, pour out your heart to Him. Read the Psalms. See what it says, how, how He's gushing His heart out. He hears you. Because He's our great high priest, as we've been hearing on Sunday morning from Hebrews, He hears you. He hears you better than your mom and dad who love you so much and all. Oh, they want to hear you. They want to hear you. Perfectly, the Lord Jesus hears you. Talk to him. Pray. And by the way, in talking to him, let me ask you this. Do you ever just leave your prayers to a simple, Lord? It's fine. Bring your requests to the Lord, yes. But do you ever just leave it there? Just thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for making me your child. I love you because you hear my prayer. Psalm 116, verse 7. I love the Lord. Let me talk to him. Next, obey. Obey him. John 13, 35. By this, all all will know you're my disciples if you have what for one another? Love for one another. And then John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll love my commandments. Next, serve him. Are you serving him? How do we serve him? By doing selfless duties for one another. Family, friends, the church, your home, etc. Serve him. Serve him. Another word for serving him is actually worship. You, you realize that you're worshiping him when you serve one another? <laughs> you're worshiping him. And last but not least, praise him. You know one sweet phrase we praise him by? By singing. By singing. Let me ask you, do you guys ever leave your stuff? Just singing to the Savior. In the shower, unashamed of what brothers and sisters or anybody else in the house is going to think. Do you ever find yourself singing to the Lord in your car or wherever it might be? doesn't matter who hears. Seriously. Do you? Guys, we've been given the gift of singing. Ephesians chapter 5 says there's a command for the redeemed child of God. Sing and make melody in your hearts to God. But guys, you cannot truly sing from your lips and may truly honor and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ if it's not in your heart. In fact, William Templeton said this about singing to his congregation one day. He said, if you are not 
in Christ, if you are not a Christian, as we sing these next few songs, please do not sin. That is the quietest worship service you'll ever hear. The psalmist in Psalm 51 says, Lord, you have opened my mouth. I sing. The Lord has done thank Him. Do you honor and worship Him in song? These are some of the core ways that the Christian expresses love and devotion to Christ. Guys, if we've seen anything tonight, may it be that we have learned from Mary's example that the transforming effect of the gospel is fully devoted, unashamed love for the Savior. And if we have this love for the Savior, if we have been born again to a living hope, it will show and become increasingly evident in our lives, even as it was in Mary's life, all because of the grace and kindness of God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life-saving love towards us by giving yourself up for us, sinful lawbreakers. And in doing that, Lord, that was a fragrant aroma to the Father. And so in response, Lord, may our lives be a sweet-smelling aroma to you with grace-motivated obedience and, and love to you and therefore love to one another. May that oil flow unashamedly and freely from our redeemed lives unto you because you are Lord, we pray for a safe trip for those going to camp, for these students, Lord, to, to grow in Christ's likeness by the teachings they will hear, wisdom and patience and endurance for the leaders. And Lord, we do pray, according to your grace, that you would bring them home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.